Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, all you lovely wine people out there, and welcome to another episode, and actually the last episode of this season. Who would believe that I have now released 30 episodes of Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat? So it's time just for a little breather. So this is the last one, and I hope you enjoy it. So today I've got a goodie for you. I am talking with Portuguese sommelier, Andrzej Luis Martins, who looks after the list at the Cavalry and Guards Club, a very classy private members club on Piccadilly in London. So we're going to start with a tasting guide, as Andre is a judge for several wine tasting competitions. So he's going to take you through how he judges a glass of wine, and we're going to work through those different components, so how both of us look at tannins and acidity and assess a glass of wine so hopefully that can help you personally do the same and enjoy that glass just that little bit more of course we're going to talk about Portuguese wines and I asked Andre very nicely to focus on the Alentejo region simply because there's a delicious bottle of wine that I wanted to crack open so before we chat with Andre let's go to my winery of the week Okay, so I have had in my wine fridge for quite a while a bottle of Bojador Vino d'Italia, which is a interesting wine that is aged in Amphora. Now, the name of the winery is Espaso Rural. They are my winery of the week. So this is a personal project from winemaker Pedro Ribeiro, who's also the winemaker of Herdad de Rossim. Now, both these wineries make the Vigno d'Italia wines, and there's something quite cool and unique about these amphora wines. That's what Talia means. It's the Portuguese version of a clay pot. Now, the Alentejo region introduced a DOC for the Talia wine back in 2012, so it's still relatively new, although, of course, this has a 2,000-year-old history going back to the Romans. Now these wines, they can be red or white. I happen to be tasting the red version and his red blend is 40% Trincadera, 30% Morreto and 30% Tinta Grossa. So we are talking indigenous grape varieties. They are bush vines and it is an organic field blend. Now interesting about the Morreto, of course I know very little about this grape variety, but it hasn't been planted for the last 50 years. So part of his mission is to recover all these lost grape varieties of Alentejo. Now in terms of how he makes the wines, everything is harvested separately but then co-fermented together. It's all indigenous yeasts, no temperature control, no additions, no stabilisation. So this is a minimal intervention wine. I love the fact that to prevent oxidation on top of these clay pots, they use olive oil so that acts as a lid. Now they de-stem because it's not possible to put whole bunches into these talias. So what they do, they punch down three times a day during the fermentation and then for about six months they just leave the wine alone. What they will do, they'll throw the stems in at the bottom 
to act as a filter so that will help a little bit so you won't get a super cloudy wine and it also adds with a little bit of tannin and the ageability of the wines. If you look at Italia there is a tap at the bottom of it and that is how they take the wine off ready to bottle. Now if we were drinking the white wine which we're not. <laughs> the white wines do spend some time on skins and also with stems, just for you to know. Now, just before tasting the wine, I want to talk about the sub-region. So there are eight sub-regions of Alentejo. And as you're going to hear from Andre later, Vidiguera is the, the heart, the home. And why? Well, it has this real microclimate. It's a continental climate. It has this east-west-facing escarpment that runs for about 50 kilometers, and that really defines the climate. So ironically, it's more southern than many of the other sub-regions, but is the most temperate. Most of the vineyards are planted on hills and they receive cooler temperatures, lots of schist and granite soils. There's a lot of minerality in the wines. The winds that come from the Atlantic still hit this area. Apparently, if you ask the older generations, they will say, this is where the white wines come from, because this is just a place of real freshness. Okay, have I got you excited about Alentejo, the wine region yet? <laughs> Time to taste the wine. I bought this from Davies Wine Merchants and it is £24.95 a bottle. So let's give it a go. Okay, so it's really fresh and lively. There's a real purity of just fruit flavours. Loads of red and black, actually. Yeah, it's a real mix. Like, I get tart red cherries with a little bit of wild strawberries. There's a wild nature, you know, fresh herbs, a bit of thyme in there. And then the black fruits, it's more black plums. It's very juicy smelling on the nose. And there's a little bit of kind of crushed black pepper. Yeah, it's super, super fresh. Ah, do you know, it's much lighter than I expected. Medium minus body at most but it's got some really earthy tannins they're they're very soft though there's a real crushed granite vibe actually this is reminding me a little bit of Menthia from Spain in the Bierzo region just to kind of maybe give you a bit of a reference point loads of fresh fruits a bit of sour cherry but a really lovely savory fresh style this actually would be a really great summer red it's got gorgeous high acidity you could chill it down of course no oak getting in the way do you know i have in the fridge right now a spatchcock poussin in fact has anyone got the brand it's the greshingham it's it has like loads of sea salt a bit of spiciness and this kind of loads of different pepper spice on it that in the oven will be absolutely perfect with this wine but maybe something with mushrooms and thyme again to bring out those herbiness in fact a bit like a beef wellington but if you changed it for turkey or a lighter meat mixed in with all that mushroom and thyme oh that would be sublime with this as well okay enough of me talking i think it's now time to chat with andre and don't forget you can download the transcript just go to my show notes and then you can follow along with all the wonderful portuguese names <laughs> enjoy 
Sanjay, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. My lovely sommelier friend, as I always ask everyone in the wine industry, why did you get into the wine industry? What made you become a sommelier? Was there a triumphant moment? Was there a wine? <laughs> no, it, it was it was accidental. Uh, basically, um, I moved to the UK after I met my my lady, and mm-hmm. um, and basically I joined. Uh, I started as a as a bar restaurant manager, and had my basically uh, knowledge of wines. And um, it was when I joined the Royal Automobile Club many decades ago. Uh, uh, I came across to join the, um, the seller team at that time, and mm. bef- before I noticed, I was in love with wine. And the rest was just a journey. Um, it just happens, so, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> just happens. It's accidental, you know. It before you notice, you start tasting wines. It's like, oh, this could be a nice job. And if you have someone really who knows their wines and kind of take you in the journey, before you notice, it's too late to look look back. And that was really too what happened with me. And how long have you been at Cavalry and Guards Club now? Uh, just over five years now. Just a just a simple, quick five years, right? It flies by, <laughs> to be fair, right? <laughs> This is a private members club, unfortunately, guys. So not everyone in London can just turn up, right? Uh, no, no. So basically most of our members, they are officers from the the cavalry or the guards regiments. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did took uh, some of the rifle regiments um, a couple of years ago. Uh, and we have a couple of London gentlemen, but basically it's a very uh, eclectic membership. And basically mm. you're looking at, we only take officers, like, like not a lot of the army clubs who take lower rankings. We just accept officers. So our membership is very small. We're just, just over 3,000 members. Very nice. But there's also a very nice wine list there. So we can always just dream about your wine list, can't we? <laughs> yes, you can say. So, uh, <laughs> as, as expected, as, as a classic club land, we are very strong in Burgundy and Bordeaux. Um, we do have uh, a solid uh, regions from Portugal, Spain, Italy, uh, New World, uh, and we have some weird, weird and strange things from a Tanat from Peru to uh, mm. a Cabernet Sauvignon from Okanagan Valley uh, to uh, uh, a Chardonnay from Ningjin in China. So we do have some weird things um, that uh, we do have members who are interested in discovering the wine world. So at the present, leave it and take, we, we probably have about three, three to 350 labels in our main wine list as we speak. And tell me, which ones are from Portugal? What are your favorites? Go on. Um, basically, uh, as I always say to everyone, uh, when I, uh, and I just said to yourself as well, it's when I, when I came to London, my wine knowledge was very basic. Say, so, uh, all my wine education is be London based. Say, so I kind of grew up with the international palate. Say, so, mm-hmm. and being a big lover of Portuguese wines, I always say I taste Portuguese wine with international palate. Say, so I'm the big fan, the big supporter, but at the same time, I'm the biggest critic. If things are not right, I'm not saying it because I like Portuguese wines. I'll say they're right. They're not. And I'm the first one saying it. Oh, a man with uh, integrity. We love it. <laughs> Carry on. Uh, Sell it to me. Basically, I love, I, I love kind of some, some of the new things. Say, for example, I have a Verdelia from Azores from the Isle of Pico. That is Ugh. something wonderful. Uh, going to a Riesling in Mafra uh, in, in, in the north of Lisbon. That is absolutely stunning. Um, and after, I'm a big Doro lover. Say, I do have some uh, wonderful things from the Doro. Some back vintage. Self up for, I still have a couple of bottles of the first edition of Crisaia. Um, I'm a big lover mm. of Quinta de Bovis is probably one of the biggest ambassadors of Quinta de Bubis in the world because I think the wines made there from their terroir with the winemaker behind and the history is just amazing and for the, the ones who don't know Quinta de Bovista uh, there is 
that it was the quinta where Baron Forrest Hill sit down and draw the first wine region of the world. Uh, say, give you how long you go back in history. Um, but at the same time, look, uh, Alintesh is doing amazing things. Uh, uh, as I normally say, Bayrava does some amazing stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, Dao is just coming through uh, with some amazing wines. Uh, so I think, uh, as I normally say to all, all the people who work in the industry, we always knew Portugal it was coming, uh, but it was just bumbling underneath. And I think in the last kind of five years up to now, uh, Portugal is really here. And, and from the top end to the bottom, and the quality and the consistency of the wines is just absolutely stunning. It's here and it's ready to stay. So we are, of course, going to talk a little bit more on Portuguese wines, but I want to pick your brain and have you educate us all on tasting wine from start to finish, because you do many judging in wine competitions, don't you? Correct. So, I've been probably for the last six to seven years, I've been a judge uh, regular at the International Wine Challenge. Mm -hmm. um, in the last four to five years, if I'm not wrong, uh, I've been part of the Semelia Wine Awards. And, and in the last two to three years, I've been part of the London Wine Competition. And just to break it very quick to everyone who's listening to us, so the International Wine Challenge is probably one of the largest wine competitions of the world. Uh, mm. The Semelia Wine Awards is the largest wine competition for on-trade wines. So the wines are tasted by Semelias for Semelias. Say so mm -hmm. is a booklet made in the end of the competition that really focuses for the on-trade. Say. So 99% of their wines that you found in their booklet, you not found it in the supermarket shell or in the wine shop shell. Um, and the London Wine Competition is a different kind. That is why I kind of accept to judge there because basically they focus in quality, packaging, pricing. Say the three things are interconnected. And I thought it's mm. kind of interesting way to judge wine as well. Um, uh, and basically uh, that is the way uh, that they operate. Most of the competitions, they all operate in um, recommended wines, uh, bronze, silver, and gold being your the wines you expect. But as I say to everyone, um, when you find a, a wine on the supermarket shelf with the silver uh, label on it, uh, or in a wine shop, that means the wine is good uh, because <laughs> it's being tasted. And and one of the interesting things I always say to a lot of people, not in the, not in the Semelli Wine Awards, but in the London Wine Competition International Wine Challenge. I do judge with different aspects of the okay. industry. Say the panel can be made by a sommelier, a winemaker, uh, a master sommelier, a master of wine. Uh, someone works in a wine shop. Someone is a head buyer for a wine group, is a head buyer for a supermarket. Uh, can be just someone working marketing to do with wines. Say is a, is a different background. And it's quite interesting uh, because you do learn from different people, different approaches and different perspectives of tasting their wines. Uh, mm -hmm. And that is, the, I think, is the beauty of it. It's like uh, no one is dominating the panel. It's like we all came to a consensus. Um, and sometimes one says gold, the other two say silver, the other one says bronze. And we all need to come to agreement that probably the wine is a, is a solid silver or mm -hmm. something in their line. So it's kind of when people look at how this wine is judged, uh, it's not just someone sitting there tasting the wine and say, OK, I'm going to give this a gold. Uh, it's not Robert Parker. It's not other kind of competitions where the wine is basically judged and given the score by one person. This is a, a team effort. And I think mm -hmm. it reflects better the quality of the wine because it's not someone's perspective. It's normally three, four, five, sometimes six people perspective reflecting their medals. So I think it's the interesting side of, of, of this wine competitions. 
So when you've got these wines in front of you and you're tasting them effectively blind and you pick up a glass, are you tasting them kind of with the WSET method? Are you looking at the colour? Are you smelling it? Are you trying to pick out aromas? Are you then looking for the acidity and structure and balance to work out the quality? Or do you do something completely different? <laughs> um, I use some of the WSET uh, things, uh, but I think it's, it's kind of middle term. I always say to people, uh, if you're studying to be a WSET student, you will do the WSET wine judging. If you're mm-hmm. studying to... For the court of master sommeliers you will follow the master sommelier chart you when you judging wines for yourself you will pick up a bit of things and it's things that i know that are not used by the, none of the the, the, the institutions mm-hmm. that i think will give me say when i taste the wine i look okay is that is that typicity on it uh, mm-hmm. what kind of the typicity it is what kind because you can have as i normally say you can have two kinds of barolos you can have the new style wave of making barolo or the old school but i mean there is no right or wrongs it mm-hmm. is the quality there that is what i'm looking for mm-hmm. and i think i always found and i'm going back to my junior judging years where i struggle sometimes because I was not 100% sure if I'm judging their wine, is this the typicity from, from a Vermentino from, uh, from Sardinia? And mm-hmm. at the time I was like, okay, I didn't take as much Vermentinos to know about it, where a few years down the line, and I think this is what great for Somalia is to go to these competitions, is you get exposed to things that you never think you're going to be exposed, mm-hmm. um, and you get surprises. For example, this year one, one of the things I got came out of, of all these judgings was I was very surprised what's coming out of Romania, the present. Okay. And I was very surprised what coming out from Bach in Mexico was absolutely stunning. Some Cabernet Francos and some Pasa Robles. That was stunning wines. That mm. is not something I taste every day and it's not something that I find in London every day. So it was, it's kind of, you get exposed to Mali as well. With, could be the new things or it's just another passing thing. So it's quite interesting as well to bring it back to the industry it's what these competitions reflect back to you. Okay, that's super interesting as well, those countries, or shall I say region of Mexico that you've just mentioned. Now, obviously for the average consumer, they may not know the typicity of a specific wine, a Brollo or Rioja. They might not know there's the more traditional side or the, the modern side of a Rioja, shall we say. So in terms of you tasting and getting quality, what are you looking for? Or what advice would you give someone tasting their wine? What should they, how should they be tasting it? Uh, first thing, uh, one of the things that I think is very important to when you taste wine is make sure you have a clean uh, glass. Mm. And a glass will give you some space to, to swallow the wine around. Stick um, your nose in. <laughs> and stick your nose in. And, uh, and basically look for aromas, look for freshness. Um, uh, look for, for character from the wine um, and I normally say you, you can go two ways or you can have a, a very bland clean Pinot Grigio where you don't get too much on the nose or you can have a buttery cream rich Chardonnay say um, and between the extreme points you'll find something in the middle um, and, and at the same time is it's I normally say imagine when you your childhood and your mom and dad take you to the fresh market in the morning and you went through the fruit man to the veg man to the butcher to the meat man and and imagine all that smells and try to identify what is in the glass try to call things names and as I say to a lot of people you never wrong or right about a wine because all of us have different memories and their memories reflect your childhood reflect your growing and that is why a lot of people can identify a lot of flavors and textures in wines 
uh, where other people identify less. Say, uh, it's always what I say to people, don't be afraid to say what comes in your mind because there's no right or wrongs. Exactly. Okay, so they are sniffing it and they're imagining their grandfather's greenhouse and the tomatoes inside, right? Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. So they've smelt things. So they've, they've stuck their nose in the glass and they've wrote down some smells. Then what? Then what should they be doing? Um, and then what I normally say, if it's your first wine of the day, don't taste it, just have a little sip and swallow in. Mm-hmm. Just to get your, your body neutralized with the alcohol and the flavors. Okay. And after that, go for the tasting. Because I think one of the things is, go, I always do it myself. Uh, I always have the first glass of the day, I, I'm doing a taste. I always have a little zip. Because basically help me set the bugs and set me the system going. Mm. Um, and and uh, for the second taste, yes, take it into your mouth. Swallow around the mouth. Um, if you're going to drink it, swallow in. If you're not going to drink it, spit it. The first thing I do is I try to check how, how acidic the wine it is. Okay. How quick my mouth get watery. Mm-hmm. Uh, say, I mean, if it's very slow, I mean, the acidity is probably medium to low. If very quick you get all your bugs going in the acidity and the water, mm. the, the, your mouth is watering very quick. I mean, you have a wine with high acidity. Uh, they mean most of these wines with high acidity, white or red, normally they're very fresh wines. Uh, even when they have years of aging, you can grab some, some old clarets. Uh, and I give example, I opened a claret yesterday from 1992, uh, and I put it in my mouth and I swallow in, and the first thing I got is, this the, the mouth getting very watery, say the acidity still, and it's 1992, the acidity is still very high. And in the end of all the savory notes, it's still kind of, this this kind of freshness to the wine that uh-huh. you think okay how this can hold it together and they hold it together amazing i always say to people as well if they are unaware of what is that kind of acidity and how much does their mouth water grab a lemon and bite into a lemon and then see how much you salivate and that will give <laughs> you a good starting point of what is acidity and then you can start judging your wine so if anyone listening do that if you're not sure so that's what you start with right acidity Correct. I start with acidity. Mm-hmm. Uh, second thing, it's uh, after kind of the salivating and see how quick my, my mouth watery, I see how long some of the flavors of the wine persist in my palate. Okay. Um, and if basically if they disappear very quick, they probably will be short, uh, short linked or short palate. Um, mm-hmm. If they stay for a while, they will be medium to long palate. And, and basically straight away already give me a bit of, of where the wine is going to go, you know, if it's going to be kind of easy, easy drinking by the glass or if I can be more gastronomic, that is the kind of the point I look at it. Um, second tasting, I'll start going for the aromas, say what kind of is the primary aromas I get on the start of the palate, in the middle and the end of the palate. Um, if I'm getting fresh fruit at the start, kind of more baked or dry fruit to the middle and kind of more the, the savory notes at the end, give me some indication uh, how the potential of aging of the wine and mm-hmm. um, and the kind of grapes as well depending of, of what they taste say uh, if they go for more the, the kind uh, the floral you will look more for the kind of the the, the white wines of this world and the fruitiest if they start getting more for this tony fruit characters uh, you look for other prospects that is the way i look at it okay fantastic and then do you do a conclusion at the end uh, depends for the competition it is and depends what I want to do with it. Say if, if I'm tasting a wine that is for me to use at work, my conclusion is, okay, do I going to use to be by the glass? Do I going to use this to be a food wine? Uh, do I going to use this now? Do I let this age? 
what do I do with it? And that is kind of the, the conclusion I make in my mind. It's where I see their wine going from what I just smell and taste and see. So I would always say in terms of you're mentioning ageability, if anyone was asking me, again, the acidity, if it has a high level of acidity obviously you know it's going to last a little bit longer and also I'd be looking at quite a bit of concentration of fruit flavors so that again as it ages we know that the fruit is going to diminish it's going to last a little bit longer would you be looking for anything else as well to conclude that it has that ageability uh, I'll, I'll, I'll normally look for the body and the structure say it, depending on reach and because the body and, and as I said look a great example is some of the Rieslings you taste some Rieslings and you mm. think okay this is a very light body but as you just said the acidity in the fruit concentration gives you the structure to age for a for a lifetime um, <laughs> as i normally say say uh, sometimes the body can be a good thing or uh, as being a full body wino could be a bad thing uh, depending what grape we're talking about uh, and that is kind of not always telling everything basically i look at the full picture of nose and palate mm -hmm. and see how they can combine together what's the potential of the wine you know you said about how long the length is yeah what do you think is a long length? Do you consider it when you can still taste those uh, beautiful, strong flavors after a minute? What would you say is a long length? How long? Uh, a, a long length, it, it's, uh, it need, for me, it needs to be kind of after a minute, uh, mm -hmm. two minutes sometimes. Some wines, especially the, the big structure wines, they, they can persist in your palate for quite a bit and and as i say to a lot of people it's not the first time i'm doing this in this in, the, in some of these competitions even myself when i'm doing notes when i do tastings uh, that i'm i kick myself writing and when i look it's like i still get the flavor and this is about two three minutes after i taste the wine so i mean that palette uh, or that link it's 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 huge mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and some some grapes surprised me I, I was saying um i have a shiny blank now with a present on, on my wine list from Monjour from the loire valley and it's the kind of grape i always taste and and done on the fresh style you don't get too much uh length or or, or palette to it and mm -hmm. this one when i tasted i tasted and i was writing some notes about it and, and I noticed myself like three minutes later, I still have this intensity of the kind, the, some of the primary fruits and secondary. And I thought, what a wine. I was very, very mm. impressed. So that is the kind of things I always look at. Yeah, okay. And what about sugar? So obviously the majority of wines, well, especially red, are dry. And, and then obviously white becomes a little bit more complicated. Do you have any tricks up your sleeve for identifying that difference when it's more just fruit driven and then compared to when it's off dry because that can be really difficult you know when it's just you know 10 grams of residual sugar per liter or just a little bit more and you've got to differentiate is it dry or is it off dry uh, I, I normally try to identify what kind of fruit i'm getting say mm -hmm. uh, and and basically the the fruit carrot is always a good indicator of that is pure sugar or is the sweetness of the fruit um, mm -hmm. and i have i have a couple of examples on my wine list they they are dry wines but when you taste it tastes like sweet but they're not sweet they're dry wines is the characteristic of the fruit and one of the things people need to be careful or watch out it's some some white wines with a bit of aging you will get more a concentration of of the sweetness fruit mm. character than really the sugar mm. and i always 
because of the training I have, when I taste, I can spot it when it's like pure sugar on the wine um, uh, against what is really the fruit concentration. So it's, it's something that is not easy, I think. Um, but my recommendation, imagine when you put a, a glass of water full of sugar and you taste it and it's like sugary water mm. uh, with some of the less quality kind of introduction level wines. If you have that kind of flavor power in your in your mind, sometimes you can identify that in some of the less quality wines that you can see is literally uh, sugar out to to make the the wine sweet. I think as well, if people were ever wanting to get really into it and figure it out, and they had the time, they could actually take some food that has some sweetness. You know, you could take, for instance, uh, a dried apricot, or you could take a sweeter sauce that you might put onto, you know, a balsamic vinegar or something that that glaze or just something lick that and see the sweetness and then go back to the wine and you may have thought it was sweet but then all of a sudden it's going to disappear it's going to seem really dull and then you know oh okay hang on a minute this wine is dry but you know you can't do that in a blind tasting for you <laughs> no no but but that, but that is true is like i say to a lot of people on the start of my career i did went to the market and buy a lot of fruits and and kind of mm. Uh, eat it today uh, and leave some for the next two or three days to get it overripe so I can see what kind of flavors and sweetness yes. they get. Mm-hmm. Say so it, it's it's another trick, you know, you're going to buy um, three or four nectarines, you taste one when you buy it, they kind of green and a bit bitter. You taste one, two or three days to be in, in your fruit um, basket at home. They start getting sweet and mellow and by, by the end of the week, they start getting really overripe and kind of, they don't look very nice, but when you taste, you get <laughs> this really nice concentration sweet flavors and you can say okay i can see what is a sweet nectarine taste mm-hmm. when it's really sweet so when you taste the wine that probably is not sugar added but is the the natural sweetness of the grapes you can say okay i can understand this sweetness now so it's another trick that people can use as well that's a really valid point and i think actually when people say oh i can't pick out that flavor and i can't pick out that aroma it is just experience isn't it and the best thing you can do just like you've said is go crazy with every piece of fruit so i love the fact that you're taking a piece of fruit and tasting it over different days the other thing would be you know you take a lemon or you take an orange and you don't just taste the juice of it you then kind of taste the skin you you take the zest you taste all the different parts of it and then when you talk about an apricot a fresh apricot versus the apricots in a tin or versus when they're dried so it's like taking the same fruit and really seeing it in every different way apples baked versus fresh a green apple versus a red apple and oh my god let's not talk about all the different apple varieties <laughs> yeah the other one will be will be here until tomorrow is about 25 it is about 20 different types of plums you know in different parts of the world they call it different things and they grow different ways it's like let's not go there <laughs> no but anyway for everyone listening Go and get a whole load of fruit and have some fun with it and bake it and grill it and smoke it, dry it, everything and have some fun. Okay, what about tannins? What about tannins? Tannins, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about tannins. Every time I I heard that word, the first thing I come to my mind is a plank of wood that I remember to taste when I taste my first Chardonnay from the US. It was like eating a a piece of wood that was the taste i used to write really? uh, on my chardonnay notes like another blank of wood on my teeth uh, <laughs> that was that was stunning but but that was the old days 
I hope you never actually ate a plank of wood, otherwise that is potential uh, I, child abuse. Look, I, I didn't eat a plank of wood, but I did I did honestly licked licked a couple of different types of wood to try to understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that is not I a fun experience, nice. I can tell. It's not a funny experience. Uh, but if you want to understand how things it is, sometimes you do <laughs> just this crazy things, you know. Uh, but um, Tannins. Um, I think it's it's very subjective, um, mm. and uh, and I normally say to people, I give the best example: grab a, a wine from Italy called Sangrentino. Oh, okay. We are going high tannins here. Say so here mm-hmm. is probably the wine in the world that you taste it and your teeth are out because <laughs> the tannins are abusive, abusive. Um, <laughs> And after you can, you, you grab a Poyak next to it and tell uh-huh. me if Poyak have any tannins. You say, no, is no tannins. So, um, and the other thing is, are you drinking the wine on your own or are you drinking the wine with food? Yeah. Uh, because it's not the first time I'm, I'm, I'm tasting a wine and I think it's quite tannic. I, I put a, a bit of steak in the mouth and I chuck a bit of red wine on top and say, there's no tannins on the wine because the fatness of the of the food take it. So it's really, it's the tannins on the wine, I think it's how the wine is made. Yes. and how you want to use it for. So yeah. uh, a lot of the tannic wines, I don't think they made to drink on their own. They're gastronomic wines. Mm-hmm. Um, where some of the, the Malbecs of this world, or the Pinotages, or or uh, the Cabernet Sauvignons made on the young style, or the Carmineras, they are wines to drink by the glass, to enjoy a glass or two or three. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's the way to look at it. Um, yes. When I do a tasting and I judge the wines, I always compare. I always look at the vintage of the wine, the grapes uh, against the tannins, and understand trying to see what is there. Um, because after that, if we start getting very technical, okay, is this tannins from the wood? Is this tannins by the wine making where it does full bench fermentation or partially a bench fermentation? Uh, tell me more. Uh, and yeah. basically, it, it, it's kind of where to go, what to do in here, and how to identify it. Say, so I think for the less knowledgeable people is when you taste it, what you're going to do with the wine. And if they have some tannins, is a, is a food wine is the way I like I look at it. Mm-hmm. With a bit of cheese, sometimes helps helps it all soften it up. Um, if it does have no no tannins, is a wine to have by the glass. It, yeah. I think is the simple way to put it to the ne- less knowledgeable people. No, I think that's absolutely fantastic and. I always say to people, again, if they don't understand what tannins are, just so that they don't have to be punished like you and lick some wood, uh, a, a slightly more palatable idea is to take a tea bag, make a hot cup of tea, but then just leave it and leave it and leave it. And you could do an experiment and you could just do a very, you could take the tea bag out of one cup of tea after a minute and then you could leave one for 10 minutes and then drink it. And that dryness that's going to coat your gums, that's the tannin. So I always think just so people can understand. And I guess the rest is is practice again, isn't it? And, and It is. And fe- Feeling, do they taste? I always say to people, they're good tannins, as in ripe tannins. If you want to put the tongue around your gums and kind of chew and mmm, that's a ripe, yummy tannins. But when they taste really bitter and the thought of them being in your mouth for any longer is horrible, then they're a bit too green. And again, we would mark a wine down. That's kind of how I would differentiate tannins. Yeah, it's about right. <laughs> right. So, we're all experts in tasting wine. Should we go to Portugal now? Should we? <laughs> I think we should. So, I wanted to focus on 
I was going to say Algarve again. <laughs> I just want to go on holiday. We all I, want holidays uh, this time. Yes, we do. I want to focus on Alentejo because this region is possibly not so well known when people think of Portugal, but it covers like 30% of Portugal. This is the largest region. And I think also with the hot climate, the Mediterranean climate, all the sunshine, you get such juicy, big, delicious wines and also pretty reliable wines. I'm going to wait to see if you disagree with me, but also really good value wines. So these are some of the best value wines of Portugal. So basically over to you, tell me what you think of Alentejo. Okay, I, I think Alentejo, it's a first thing, let's going to put it in context of Portugal. Um, say we, we, we south of the Tagus or Rio Tejo um, and basically all the way to the north of Algarve, that is all Alentejo. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the flattest part of the country, the, the most flattest part of the country, um, and the hottest and, and driest of, of Portugal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in Alentejo, you don't find a lot of vineyards on the on the coast, and most of the vineyards are inland. Um, so that is kind of uh, ex- breaking down Alentejo. Um, is a region that uh, have some iconic wineries and some iconic um, uh, vineyards. Um, one of the, the vineyards and one of the wines that is done, it's Piramanca. Uh, next to Barca Velha, probably they'll be the two most mm-hmm. iconic uh, and priced wines of coming out of, of the country as we speak. Um, again, um, we're looking at Zona de Vidigueira, that is one of the regions of Alentejo. That's probably the heart um, and soul of, of some of the great Alentejo wines coming out of the present. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, um, you do have uh, different perspects um, of, of wine coming out of there. Say, uh, one of the ones you asked me before we start this session was uh, wine of Talia. Um, and for mm-hmm. the people less known, it's very similar to how Georgian make wine, say, in clay pots, aging the wine. Um, so that is a couple of the things out of Valentejo. Um most of the production of Alentejo until um, not far ago was red wines because of the, well, the, the climate, heat. right? And mm-hmm. um, where more and more white wines are coming out of Alentejo as well. And some of them doing some amazing stuff. So you have the easy drinking kind of uncomplex uh, and fresh, fruity driven uh, floral white wines to the most kind of oak uh, complex and kind of richer um, wines. Um, on the red wines, you, you have all the expects. So you have the indecent grape varieties from there, uh, and you have the kind of more international grapes, the your Merlots, your Cabernet Sauvignons, your Alicante Boucher. Alicante Boucher, again, is international wine grape, but at the same time, it's been uh, seen in Alentejo for many, many decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of, is in the middle of, is, is, is typical for the region, yes, is international grape, yes, is all region, is an indecent grape. Yes and no, kind of uh, say it's, it's sitting there on, on the blank. Um, Alentejo, uh, as I said, uh, is, is a hot uh, region, but again, it does have uh, some slopes who does help um, kind of control the temperature um, ac- across the, the vineyards. And it does suffer from, say, basically overnight, you, if you have the Atlantic influence, the, the, the sea, the breeze coming from the Atlantic can, can have a massive impact on the vineyards across Alentejo. Uh, if you have the winds coming from Spain, especially in the summer, uh, it coming from the Planalto from Spain, that is 
bring even hotter winds than the day. So it's mm. kind of a, a hard region to work. Uh, it, it require a lot of canopy management uh, from from the winemakers. But as you said, it's it's ma- is making some amazing wines. Yeah, because I suppose, just for people to understand, this is so large. Of course, if you are a vineyard closer to the Atlantic, it's going to be moderated from, you know, the the ocean slightly. We're not on the coast, but there's going to be a slight moderation. But then if you're going further inland, because it's obviously next to Spain, it's attached to Spain, the more kind of north and east you get, the more continental mm-hmm. you get. Correct. Uh, but again, you have a lot of rivers going through. You when you have one of the biggest water reservoirs uh, of of Portugal is in the heart of Alentejo. Say that little things have have a lot of impact on mm-hmm. on the kind of the microclimates of each individual region and vineyard. Um, and as well, we have the Serra of Samameda, is just kind of the border between Alentejo and Spain. It does have an impact as well on the kind of the the altitude where the vineyards are located as well. Uh, even though we're not looking at at high altitude, we're looking at two, three, four, five hundred meters above sea level. That's help as well moderate the, um, the the vineyard's temperature as well. Well, now you mentioned the, the heart of Alentejo, which is Vidigueira, um, but there are eight subregions. Would you say that Vidigueira is probably the most important one? I think it's the most iconic uh, and okay. is the kind of the most historical uh, region making wine, and 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 basically that is that is why why I mention it because I always use Vidigueira as, as one of my reference when I'm looking at uh, wines from Alentejo, uh, mm-hmm. even though it comes from different parts of the region. Uh, it's one of of the the the, the sub regions that I always look at and see what they're doing and what the winemakers looking at uh, making mm-hmm. their wines there. I would also say, and this has come from a hell of a lot less knowledge of Portugal, but Requengos because uh, of Esparao, the uh, winery. Yes, uh, Requengos is. But again, it's you're probably looking at one or two wineries in Requengos. Uh, even okay. the even the cooperative of of Requengos make. Uh, amazing things even though being a cooperative is one of the things i always say in portugal you have great cooperatives doing amazing wines tell me okay what's the story with esparao because of course they're one of the most well-known wineries in alentejo and as far as i believe or certainly the story i tell is that they kind of put alentejo on the map i think uh... Between Cartusha and Enxporan, they they did two regions that they did two wineries. They probably kind of help put Alentejo on the map. If you say Andre, you need to choose two wineries from Alentejo to represent Alentejo. Uh, that will probably be the two the two wineries that I'll pick up straight away. And again, Enxporan is iconic winery uh, and with iconic wines. And the most interesting things they in the last couple of years or the last two decades, um, they trying to go back to the how they made things on the past, the original way. And I mm. and I think David Beaverbrook the, is a great winemaker of Portugal. Uh, the, the, is he Australian? Uh, I'm not sure if he's Australian. I know it is. I know he, he's from that he side. He's from that side <laughs> of the world. So I hope he doesn't take me wrong with me saying that. I'm, I'm, I'm not 100% sure if he's Australian or Kiwi. I know he came in uh, as one of the original fly winemakers to the Douro to help. Yeah in the Douro, uh, but he moved on to, to the south and he did an amazing job what what he achieved in Spurão. The, the, the other region, I think Borba as well, Adega Cooperativa Borba is, is well known as well. Uh, it does some, mm-hmm. some interesting things. Uh, Porto Alegre, regional Porto Alegre as well. So it's kind of, uh, 
and 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 it's where you look at say Portalag is more up north and is going to be a bit more closer to Spain, probably a bit cooler. Rgengus because you have the big influence of the waters, lakes they have around, uh, and the big reservoir uh, again have a lot of influence. Uh, say. On its own, Alentejo is, is kind of a, a big region. Uh, when people say vineyards are from Alentejo, it's very similar to saying, oh, you have, um, it's from Bordeaux. What part of Bordeaux, right bank, left bank, is in yeah. Poyac, is in saint Emilion. Yeah. We are exactly in the same situation here, you know. What, while they are located, they halt Alentejo, they buy Alentejo, say, we again kind of we overlook the region as one but it's more into it Mm, so it's something that people can really investigate now we can't talk about portuguese wine without talking about those grape varieties in more detail right i mean this is the probably the country with the most indigenous grape varieties i'm sure maybe a few other countries would would argue but i I remember there's there was a book i don't know who wrote it but it's called portugal land of 500 grape varieties you know it's it's an exciting country to investigate right yes Absolutely. So one of my favourite grape varieties, and you said about white wine is doing better now, is Antalvaz. Can you talk about Antalvaz? It's such a yummy, uh, say, tropical uh, I think I think Antalvaz, if it's done on the fresh style, is, is a kind of a very crispy, kind of very clean, you know, mm. a lovely floral note. You know, sometimes you get this kind of, kind of I normally describe a white peach kind of character. Um, and, it, and it's amazing uh, as, as, as that. For me, I think does really well, work really well with the oak. And I think Cartouche, going back to, to one of the wineries that, that I kind of follow, mm-hmm. um, uh, they do their, their Pedamanca white that is 10 times cheaper than, than, than red. Uh, treat with oak, even their basic Cartouche white, treat with oak, the wine is such an amazing thing. But as other producers doing Anton Vaz, and it adapts really well to, to barrack aging. Anto Vaz in general, they are still doing as a single variety, aren't yes. they? I know that there are now a bit more blends going on with the whites, but in terms of the whites from Alentejo, Anto Vaz is the, the number one and you can still find lots of it as a single variety. Uh, correct, yes. But with the reds, they generally are blends, aren't they? Yes, you can find some uh, single varieties, not a lot. Um, but uh, I had the opportunity to try some Aragonese on his own. You found some Alicante Boucher, some Torriga Nacional on his own. Uh, Trincadeira, very, uh, I think I taste 102. But I love Trincadeira. But normally, is, and it sounds but good normally well. <laughs> is, is in blends that they, they really come together. I think that is that is Alentejo's best expression, is, is blends. Just to point out to anyone, if they've ever heard of Tinta Amarela, it's the same grape variety. Just remember the wine world just likes to confuse us. Yes. Uh, Trincadera in Doro is known as Tinta Amarela. And, uh, and we should now obviously talk about Tempranillo, which <laughs> has a million different names. Oh, yeah. A million, I might be exaggerating, but talk about Aragonés. Um, I think Aragonés, it, it's the kind of, I normally say it, it's kind of, uh, you get it, it can be, if it's, Peak early, it's kind of very elegant. Uh, you get this kind of mm-hmm. really fresh kind of plum. Uh, it can be red cherry, can be red strawberries kind of thing. And, and it's kind of the aftertaste you get this kind of, it's not a spiciness of a syrup, but you get this really elegant spicy notes that, that blends really well with the fruit. Um, I, I think is and in a blend, brings a lot of character to the blend that I 
Yeah, but I mean, Aragonish, which just just to clarify in case we weren't clear, is Tempranillo, as people will have will have heard of it in Spain. Aragonish. Well, it's so confusing, isn't I, it? Don't go there. The same... I, I was reading the yeah. the last book a couple of months ago that Richard Mason just wrote. Uh, he just updated his his last version of uh, Wines of Portugal, and and it, and I still every time I read, I still get impressed. One grape, how many names they call it across the different regions of Portugal, <laughs> and in one region, in the same region the four super region call it something else and it's like oh my god oh you can get their head around this <laughs> well and to be honest i think the writer when you read if you ever read portugal land of 500 grape varieties even he states well there's about 300 genuine grape varieties because of course probably 200 of them really are just literally the same but depending on where they're grown and maybe a slight different clone yeah, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah you're probably absolutely right on that one mm. But Aragonish is, or Tempranillo, is always a great blending grape, hence why they do the same in the Rioja region. So Aragonish, from what I know, does tend to blend very nicely with the Trincadera. Yes. And these are the two main reds. And, and Alfredo as well, because what they do is they, they put, Alfredo brings a lot of freshness to the to the to the um, to the blend uh, and they use that as uh, a benefit as well oh and everyone just so you know alfrechero is bamboso negro <laughs> in spain there you go. confusing more thank you <laughs> yeah well listen we, we need to cross reference don't we but alfrechero you can taste some really fantastic styles in dao i think does that come yeah Dao. I think it's native from the yeah, Dao region. It's, it's one of the original grapes from Dao. Yeah, absolutely right. Mm. I think it's just such a fantastic region to explore. And quite clearly, it's going to be evolving now that it's had so much more investment. Because, of course, you know, going back 20 years ago, no one had really heard of it. It was the EU funded. Well, 20 years ago? It was the 1980s, yes. I think it got EU funding. So that's that's helped with that expansion. Can we quickly go back to the Talia wine? So, because Talia wine is this traditional wine with 2,000 years worth of history. I find it really fascinating, though, that they put the wine in amphora, but then seal it with olive oil. Yes. I think that's cool. Absolutely say it's basically, it's the lead to stop the wine to oxidize, to to get any any of the effects from, um, say, basically, you're looking for the microoxygenation. Instead of you having the microoxygenation from the, uh, from the oak barrels, you have the microoxygenation from the clay like the Romans they used to do back mm-hmm. on the days, the Greeks. Uh, and if you work well for them, why it doesn't work now? And, and I, I tell you, I taste some, some amazing uh, reds and whites uh, from Talia. Uh, some of them is with, with a lot of aging. Luckily, a lot of the producers are, are recovering um, the, the old methods and there's a couple of wineries now uh, really taking that, that very serious to the next level. And there's a couple of new projects coming very shortly in the market. Um, uh, with some extraordinary wines, age in Italia with Indian grape varieties from, from Alentejo with uh, kind of very old clones. So that, that would be really interesting to see that things. Mm. So anyone who's interested in that, they need to look out for the, I'm saying Vinho, Vinho. is how it's spelled. V, yeah, well, I, wait, I'm doing Vinho for us English people, how it's spelled. <laughs> <laughs> Vinho, and then it's de Talha. So obviously we're pronouncing it Talia, but that's how you would see it written on a wine label. 
so people know to look out for it, right? Uh, and the, and the flavors, they're really, really, really amazing. And and some of the white wines do really well in Italia, but I think the reds, it's it's really the. That's where it's at. I think the reds, it's it's really where where the future, is, especially some some kind of high quality with the with with the, with concentration, will come from the reds. Awesome. I think if anybody wants to know about grape varieties more, what I always find really useful, winesofportugal.info. They have they don't have five hundred grape varieties there. But they certainly have. I don't they, know. They have the major. They, they, they basically they will point you to the major grape varieties in each region. So if you go to the to the website of of the wines of Portugal, they'll have there. And after they have the link to the soup website, say most of the regions in Portugal have their own uh, website. Say uh, wines of Alentejo. That is a, that they will have their own website if you want more details about the region. Love it. And there's some we haven't even touched on rosé, but there's some lovely rosés coming out. They're a bit more intense, a bit more aromatic as well from Alentejo. Uh, yeah, you still basically you still have the, the classic rosatos, if you want to call it like that, uh, where they kind oh, sorry, of, they, they kind of remember the the Spanish intense red wines, but uh, it's some beautiful uh, kind of Provence style roses being made, and I normally say with a bit more character because uh, some mm. of, they're a bit stronger, uh, aren't they? The thing is, they they use a lot of uh, Torriga Nacional as as one of the grape varieties, and basically. The fruit intensity, even being pale, is is great character there, um, mm. and and it does really kind of uh, is is a more intense uh, rose if you want to describe it like that. Exactly, yummy. Okay, everyone, go and grab a bottle of Alentejo. Um, you're amazing. Thank you very pleasure. much for certainly making sure as well I pronounce things correctly <laughs> in Portuguese. Absolutely a pleasure. <laughs> now we now we need to do one of our my favorite region of Portugal. Um, in your next which one's next uh, Bar- which uh, we one we need to talk about by rather but we need to do a tasting mm, for sparkling sparkling bagger age with some time and sleeping in bottle um uh, early peaking late peaking oaked and oaked and and talk about that because i think it's <sighs> it's a region very small in the perspective of portugal but some of the wines coming out of there is from the other world, I think. Right, that is for another episode. Thank you so much, Andre. You're awesome. And um, we'll catch up for a glass of bagger or sparkling very, very soon. Definitely. Thank you. See you soon. Pleasure. Bye-bye. Right, well, I definitely need to do more episodes on Portugal in season two. Let me know, what do you want me to focus on next season? Are you wanting the lesser known wine regions? Perhaps focus on countries like Romania and Croatia? Or should I be going more in depth for the Loire Valley in France and Tuscany in Italy? Let me know about what grape varieties, wine styles, things I haven't covered that you want to know about. You can contact me on Instagram. The handle is at eatsleep underscore wine repeat or send me an email, yanina at eatsleepwinerepeat.co.uk. And for those of you that have listened all the way through and sent me wonderful support. So much love for you. Anyone who's just joining me now, do prepare yourself. Go and enjoy these old episodes. I'll be back in six weeks. So that's the 16th of August. Now I'll finish as always with my wine quote and I've chosen a Portuguese writer and poet and his name is Fernando Pessoa. I chose him because he was in fact the writer that inspired the Bojador wine that I tasted at the beginning. You can find one of his poems on the back of the label but 
For the wine quote, it is something very simple, and he was noted to have said, Life is good, but wine is better. Yes, it is, guys. Seriously, this has been so much fun and so interesting, this journey of doing podcasts by myself. I hope you've enjoyed the season. I cannot wait to bring you season two. So much love to you all. Grab yourself something totally delicious, and I'll see you again on another episode of Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat. Cheers to you.